Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, joined by Pastor Ross Anderson. And Ross, today it's Tuesday, and so it's another opportunity for us to talk about systematic theology. Today we're in week number five in our 12-week series, and we're going to talk today about the Holy Spirit. Now, Ross, I think the Holy Spirit, a good way to think about it, I heard somebody say this. In fact, we did a series at our church one time called The Forgotten God. The Holy Spirit really is the forgotten God, isn't he? In some ways, that's true, because we put a, a, the bulk of our, of our uh, emphasis is on God the Father, we pray to the Father, and so or on Jesus. And those are that's certainly appropriate to put a ton of emphasis on Jesus, our Savior, our, you know, represents us. And we talked last week about all the different things that, that Jesus does, his ministry and all of his, uh, his identity and everything else. And that, so that's huge. But uh, we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit as much. And honestly, as I was preparing this uh, topic, I was freshly um, impressed, and it just uh, reminded me how much there is in the Bible and in the New Testament and Old, both, about the Holy Spirit and how many different aspects of ministry and life the Holy Spirit is involved in so many things. And so, um, you know, this is a topic that really does deserve a fair attention from us. And some listeners might say, well, hey, the Holy Spirit isn't forgotten God at my church, because mm-hmm. some people might go to a more charismatic or Pentecostal church, and the Holy Spirit is very much alive and well at a church like that, right, in certain ways and certain expressions, right. but there are probably other people who go to other types of churches where that probably is true, that they don't. there's not a whole lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit for them. Yeah, and even in the churches that are more expressive or more uh, Pentecostal or whatever, um, I think it, it, we could f- probably argue that the emphasis on the Holy Spirit may be limited to certain aspects of His work, and other aspects of His work are maybe somewhat unknown. Right, yeah, and we're not talking to—we're really not going to get into great detail today, probably very much detail at all, about the charismatic gifts. That's for probably another episode, another topic. Mm-hmm. We're, t- we're really talking about really understanding who the Holy Spirit is, because the Holy Spirit is God. In fact, probably we should start, before we get into all these details, we should start with this idea that we introduced a few episodes back about God's imminence, that mm-hmm. God is imminent. And of course, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, his imminence, or so when it, sorry, when it comes to Jesus, his imminence was, you know, Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. So he is imminent in a very real way 2,000 years ago. But when we're talking about God's imminence through the Holy Spirit, we're talking about something a little different. Right. So Jesus became imminent, God became imminent through the person of Jesus by his incarnation, he came to live among us, and uh, you know we saw him. We meaning people, um, but the, the Holy Spirit is imminent in a different way. That in that once Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the Spirit to actually take up residence within people who who follow him. And so, not only just a passive uh, residence within us, but he's active. Um, his presence is active in and among his people, in us as individuals and among us as, you know, his church. The Holy Spirit is active uh, day in and day out. So imminent in that sense. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to, maybe we'll we'll set the hook, we'll get to, at the very end, we'll talk just briefly, Ross, about the idea of tongues and the charismatic gifts. I do, I do want to touch mm-hmm. on that here yeah. at the end. 
because I think everyone needs to be exposed to that and understand that even if you're not a part of a charismatic or Pentecostal church. But I'm, yeah. I'm someone who did grow up in a charismatic church, so I'm very comfortable with that side of the conversation. So I'll say to my people, Ross, at the outset, mm-hmm. I think it's important for, for you, if you go to a charismatic church, to really understand the fullness of who the Holy Spirit is. Mm-hmm. Not just what you've experienced at church, but some of this other stuff that I think it's important for us to talk about. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and But all of it, it should be on the table, right? There's none of it. And maybe this is a little bit why the Holy Spirit is is neglected a little bit is because some people are just uncomfortable with some where that conversation might go and right. and the kind of things that might come up but all of it really deserves to be on the table if it's in scripture we should talk about it all right so let's start with this the holy spirit is a person i think this is a good place to start pastor ross because a lot of people when they refer to the holy spirit even i sometimes do this and i have to correct myself a lot of people call the holy spirit an it right if i had a dollar for every time i heard that you know yeah. um but yeah and so it, it reveals maybe our default understanding of the holy spirit is some kind of a force or energy field or like you know the force of star wars or something like that um but really the holy spirit should be he not it and because he possesses all of the attributes of personhood. He has a mind, a will. At least the Bible depicts the Holy Spirit as having a mind, a will, emotions, and doing things that people do. Um, it treats, the Bible treats the Holy Spirit um, as uh, an actual person. Mm-hmm. He's, got, he's got personality. We, he, he's got, he interacts with other people, other persons. You know, um, he's not human, of course, um, but he has all the attributes of personhood. Yeah. So, for example, when we when you say he does everything a person, he does many things a person does. He teaches John fourteen twenty six. He bears witness in John fifteen. Mm-hmm. He intercedes for us. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? What do we mean by he intercedes for us? He he pray, Romans chapter eight talks about how he prays for us and with us. It prays to the Father and interprets our weak and maybe. Uh, intelligent prayers to the Father on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he also sends, Acts 13, he mm-hmm. sent he sent people out into the mission yeah. field. Yeah, so those are all things that persons do, not things that um, impersonal forces do. But it's not just what he does, it's also what people do to him, right, that he can be lied to. Mm-hmm. We see that in Acts chapter 5. He can be resisted. Mm-hmm. If you've ever resisted a person, well, you, you could also resists the Holy Spirit, right. and the Holy yep. Spirit is a person, and he, he, he can even, he even was blasphemed, he can be blasphemed. Right, you don't blaspheme, you know, an object, it, it's because it's a personal insult, and so that all of those things, the way that we interact with the Holy Spirit, we interact with him as a personal being. So just like God the Father is a personal being, God the Son is a personal being, in the same way, God the Holy Spirit is a personal being. And so we use the pronoun he, mm-hmm. not it. Not it, right. So that's the first thing. He's personal. Number two, the Holy Spirit is divine. So the Holy Spirit, Ross, let's get this straight. The Holy Spirit isn't just JV God. Right. And he, the Holy Spirit is not just somehow the action of God sent out into the world or somehow the messenger of God or somehow just the power of God at play, whatever. But he he is divine in the same way we, we talked about the last few weeks, the how established how the Father is God, how the Son is God, fully God, 
and that's true of the Holy Spirit as well. So some of the qualities, some of the attributes that are that are attributes of God and God alone are attributed to the Holy Spirit, just like they're attributed to Jesus and God the Father. For example, eternity, Hebrews 9, omniscience, mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 2, omnipotence, Luke 1 and Zechariah 4, omnipresence, Psalm 139. So these, again, these are just some examples of mm-hmm. the incommunicable attributes of God. These aren't things that are true of us, they're only right. true of God. They're true, and they're true of God, only of God. So as they're ascribed to the Holy Spirit, then we put two and two together and say, oh, the Holy Spirit is, is divine, is God. And same thing with uh, things, actions that really only God can properly do. Those are attributed to the Holy Spirit as well. Yeah, so things like creation and spiritual regeneration and sanctification, convicting of sin, even raising the dead, these are all things in Scripture that are attributed to the Holy Spirit's work, and and these are things that only God can do. So therefore, the Holy Spirit is God. Right, so we have to to look at the whole of Scripture here. There, There isn't a place where the Bible just says the Holy Spirit is God, you know, in the way that we've summarized it all, but as we pull together all the data, the Holy Spirit is treated as God, is viewed as God, he's equated with God in the Bible, in the, for example, what we call the Trinitarian formulas, where Jesus says, for example, in Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Those three persons are equated in a, in a statement like that, and so the Holy Spirit is included fully whenever God is discussed, and so that those are the reasons why we've come to this conclusion biblically as a church over the last uh, 2,000 years. Okay, so let's talk more specifically about the Holy Spirit's work, and we're, we've got this broken down into a few examples of the Holy Spirit's work, and the first is his, his work in creation. What was the Holy Spirit's role in creation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that the Spirit of God was brooding over, hovering over the waters, and God, was, uh, God brought order out of chaos. And so the Holy Spirit was involved um, in that original creation, um, and, then, and then the scene shifts uh, to the action of the Father as the Father sp- speaks and things start to come into existence. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is seen there involved from the very beginning. Okay, that's Genesis 1, Genesis 2, but what about in the rest of the Old Testament? Because there's a difference between, and we're going to get into this, there's a difference between the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit's work in the New Testament. The way I like to explain it as a math guy is his work in the Old Testament is like the integers, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, and his work in the New Testament, we'll get into this, is like the the all the all the natural all the numbers right everything between zero and one which is an infinite number right between zero and one all the fractions all the rational and irrational numbers I, not to get too mathematical here but that's how i always view it as his work in the new testament is unlimited it really is mm-hmm. unlimited and we'll get into that but his work in the old testament w- did have some limitation it seems yeah, so this is interesting because, you know, we, the Bible starts with showing his work in creation, but in almost every other case, from the Old Testament into the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's work has to do with humanity. The Holy Spirit is working 
in and through and with human beings. So it's, it is very personal, and we see that in the Old Testament, because the Holy Spirit is typically seen as empowering, enabling human beings to do some particular task that God calls them to do, to fulfill um, some calling or, or some uh, feat that, that God wants that person to do. And so the Holy Spirit comes. When the job is done, the Holy Spirit then departs. Yeah, a perfect example of this is Samson, right? <clears throat> Sam, the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, and he took a donkey's jawbone and, and just you know killed, what, a thousand Philistines. Yeah. Uh, the Holy Spirit came on Samson, and he pulled down the, the temple on himself and, and all the people who were mocking him in captivity. So the Holy Spirit worked in Samson's life, and a lot of the judges sort of in, in spurts. In spurts, yeah, for the time, you know, it's like... Uh, yeah, I don't have a good analogy for that. But it wasn't just... Uh, it, was, it was often in the case of a spiritual leader. It could have been in the case sometimes of a military leader. Samson's leading these battles. Um, you know, it, it could have been... Sometimes what's really unique is in the book of uh, Exodus, it talks about the craftsmen who were building the tabernacle and building this, this, this building that had some beauty and aesthetic quality to it. And it says the Holy Spirit came upon these craftsmen to give them the ability to work skillfully mm. in their trade. Yeah, another example is with the prophets. The prophets spoke through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit emboldened the prophets to speak the truth of God in many mm -hmm. cases. Yeah, and, and, it's, and, the, and it's, the link is made very clear in the text where it says, then the Holy Spirit came upon this prophet and he spoke boldly, sometimes... Uh, thing well, certainly things that God gave the prophet to speak, but it wasn't just the information; it was also, you know, sort of a, a transformation of this person's character and empowering the things that God gave that person to say. Okay, and then something happened, and the watershed moment for this, and this is interesting, the watershed moment for the the maybe the differing role of the Holy Spirit, where, where the Holy Spirit's temporary and provisional role in the Old Testament now all of a sudden changes in this, empower, in this really important moment. And actually, it wasn't at the resurrection of Jesus. It wasn't right. at his death on the cross. Right. It was a little bit later. It was in Acts chapter 1. It was at his ascension. At his ascension, Jesus goes away. You can read this in Acts chapter 1. He tells his disciples, hey, once I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come mm -hmm. upon you, and you'll have the power to be my witnesses. And then Jesus goes away, and if you read in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, this is just what happens. The Holy Spirit now, all of a sudden, is beginning to work differently through people in the right. church. Right, and so Jesus, we'll, get, we'll talk about in a minute how Jesus promised he would send the Spirit after he departed, and he did, about 10 days after he ascended into heaven, boom, he did send the Spirit in a very visible tangible, noticeable way that people could identify this is actually what happened. So on the day of Pentecost, um, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and, and Peter, as he interprets what's going on, the crowd noticed uh, because the manifestation of the Holy Spirit had um, all of the followers of Jesus declaring the gospel in languages that they had never learned, in the language of the people who were gathered in Jerusalem that day, from languages from all over the ancient Mediterranean world. 
And Peter, as he's describing what's going on here, he quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel, and he says, this is what's happening is what Joel prophesied. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people, on all flesh, young men, old men, young women. And he says, you know, no more will it be temporary for a particular task, but now the Holy Spirit, and this is borne out through the whole New Testament, now the Holy Spirit becomes the permanent possession of every person who follows Jesus. Every person who's come into faith and, and, and become a Christ follower now receives the Holy Spirit. All right, let's pause here and talk about tongues, because I think this is where it first enters in, right? Yeah. We see, mm-hmm. we see the, the, the obvious expression of that in Acts chapter 2, and you see it again in Acts 8 and in Acts 10, and in, Second Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about it more there as well. But So there's this... I think there's confusion, probably for Pentecostal believers and otherwise. There's confusion among some people, and they would say, okay, wait, is, it a, is the Holy Spirit a permanent possession for every believer, or is the Holy Spirit a permanent possession only for the people who, spo- who speak in tongues, like we see in Acts 2 and 8 right. and 10? And, and Ross, let's both answer that, because again, you come from a not charismatic background. I do come from a charismatic background. But surprisingly, we have, I think we have the same answer to this. Pretty close. I think our answer is pretty close. By the way, I have, I have attended charismatic churches as a new believer, was involved in a church that um, transitioned from a non-charismatic to a charismatic mm. church. So I've, I've heard it all, seen it all. Um, but y- y- there is definitely something going on that's mm-hmm. supernatural involving the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Because is it, so first thing it says that it that like flames of what appeared to be flames of fire, came, there was a mighty a sense of mighty rushing wind that occurred to the believers that were gathered praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, and and then flames of fire come. So there's a phenomenology that takes place uh, that was visible and noticeable, mm-hmm. and then they began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Um, the difference between Acts chapter 2, and much of contemporary Pentecostal experience is that, in my, again, kind of an outsider point of view, is that it looks like Pentecostal experience focuses on speaking in tongues in what what some would call a prayer language or Mm -hmm. a heavenly language, and that's not the same as the phenomenon that we see in Acts chapter 2, which is known human languages, mm. because they're pre- prepared. They're not just talking to God in a private, personal um, a moment, which is what 1 Corinthians 14 talks about, right. but they're actually declaring the gospel in ways that people who don't know the language of, of Judaism would have heard in their own tongue. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got just a word of encouragement for everybody, wherever you are on the spectrum. First of all, I'll speak to Charismatics and Pentecostals, and I'll say, look, pay, make sure that you're not just seeking the experience, because yeah. in my experience, a yeah. lot of Charismatics, they were seeking the experience. They weren't seeking God right. always. I mean, maybe they started well, off seeking yeah. God, but they got fo- so focused on the experience. I still run into people sometimes who say, I just want to speak in tongues so bad. I want to speak in tongues so bad. And I say to them, could pray to God for that because yeah. God might give it to you, but don't feel like your your relationship with God is dependent on this this gift. If God gives it to you, He'll give it to you. If He doesn't, He doesn't, and it doesn't. It it's not saying anything about you or your value or your worth. And I think that's what can happen in a lot of yeah. churches 
is it's kind of the haves versus the have-nots. And I saw this in the youth group that I grew up in, people, the kids who spoke in tongues, it's like they were more spiritual. And that really is my answer to the question. The, the, permanent pos- the Holy Spirit is a permanent possession of every single believer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take speaking in tongues right. to feel like you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, Ephesians 1 talks about this, is the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. It's not saying that you have to speak in tongues. You shouldn't forbid, I'm, I'm going to say something to the other people now right, right. Who, don't, who don't speak in tongues. You shouldn't forbid speaking in tongues. That's actually against God's commandment. Right. Pretty First clear Cor- there. Very yeah. clear. First Corinthians yeah. 14, don't forbid the speaking in tongues. So, so if, if you're on the far end of the spectrum and the furthest end, I guess, would be a cessationist, someone who says mm. that the gift of tongues isn't for today, I would just seriously challenge that because I don't think there's, an, I don't think there's a legitimate biblical explanation for that kind of that kind of statement. Right, right, and, I agree. And, and, and actually, Paul says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. And so if you don't speak in tongues, I encourage you, especially if you're in ministry, if you're mentoring somebody, don't forbid it in somebody else. Don't forbid it. So I'll say that to the mm-hmm. one side. Yep. But to the other side, I'll say, don't just seek out the experience. Seek out the God who gives the gifts. And, and if he doesn't give you the gift, it's, you don't complain about it. It's right, not about you. right, exactly. So this is where I think... Um, in classic Pentecostal thinking versus cessationist thinking, it, it, it's been the idea that um, we all may have the Holy Spirit, but we don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I, I would say that you'll never have more of the Holy Spirit than you have the moment you trust in Jesus. The way some people have framed it is now, now the Holy Spirit might want to get more of you. But you'll never have more of the Holy Spirit. Now we can be greater. We could we could be more surrendered to His leading. We mm-hmm. could be you know more in, in step with the Spirit. Is what the way it talks about it in Galatians five. We'll never have more of the Holy Spirit than we have now. Yeah, that's good. And and I would encourage you to remember to the Pentecostals or Charismatics out there is the whole reason Jesus said it in Acts one eight. The whole reason He wanted to give the Holy Spirit isn't so that you could speak in tongues. He said, the reason I want the Holy Spirit will come upon you is so that you'll be my witnesses. Right. So the, the role of the Spirit in, in a, is to give us boldness to share Jesus with people in our world. It's not to show off some language that we have. Right, and I, and I would say um, also to the non-Pentecostals that speaking in tongues or spirit phenomena, those aren't the only things that people you know, fall into to say, I, this is a, a measure of my spirituality. Oh, that's right. You know, outside of the Pentecostal world, it, there's going to be other things that we're tempted to, you know, maybe, I, I'm, maybe I'm more involved in this kind of activity or whatever, that this is what real Christians do, this is what real Christians experience. Mm-hmm. So we're all subject to that temptation to elevate ourselves in one way or other, whether it's in, in one expression or whether it's somebody else, something yeah. else. That's good. All right, we'll come back to the Spirit's role in humans in just a second, but let's talk for a second, Ross, about the Spirit's role with Jesus. How did the Holy Spirit interact with Jesus while Jesus was on earth? Well, in a nutshell, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in the same way that he came upon the Old Testament judges and prophets and kings and so forth. So Jesus was empowered by a unique anointing of the Holy Spirit. In Luke, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus quotes Isaiah, and he says, you know, the Spirit of, of, of God has come upon me, you know, to bring, um, and he talks about all the uh, outcomes of his ministry, to bring uh, sight to the blind and hope to the uh, broken and the poor and so forth. So the Holy Spirit is, is 
the one who, who working through Jesus provides him with guidance, with power for his earthly ministry. And so in a, in a similar way that he empowered King David and Samson and for their particular ministries that God had given to them. So it's interesting you say it like that, because I would have said, maybe you can answer this for me, Ross, I would have said, but, but could we say that, that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit like we as believers, the New Testament believers, the Acts and forward believers are empowered? Is it, is it, is it, was it occasional and temporary, the Holy Spirit's role in Jesus' life, or was it a permanent possession of Jesus just like it becomes for us? Yeah, that's. I think in, in understanding the framework, kind of the flow of salvation history and how the Holy Spirit was sent um, after Jesus left, then I, I would say that it was a, it was for the moment, for the for the task. Now, permanent, yeah, because Jesus was always in that task. Right, he was right. on that mission, that's true. and he didn't complete that mission until he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. Mm-hmm. And so at that point in time, you know, he's united to the Father again. He doesn't need the Holy Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit to us. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't like, um, you know, the Holy Spirit, I don't think, came upon Jesus when, in order to feed the 5,000 and then left until, you know, it was time to heal a leper and so forth. There was this, I think, this ongoing abiding presence of, G- of the Holy Spirit. So in some way, it is like, uh, like we receive the Holy Spirit in the sense that, now, this might be... Uh, controversial to some, but I don't believe that Jesus did his miracles by his, by his divine native power. I believe he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And the, the clue to that in, in um, Matthew 12, he says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, he says in one, in one gospel, but in another gospel he says, by the, by the Holy Spirit, then, you know, so he's, so he's talking about who has the power, the authority to do exorcisms. And so, but he specifically says, I cast out power by, I cast out demons by the Holy Spirit. Mm. He didn't say, I cast out demons because I'm God in the flesh, and therefore I have the power and authority over demons, which he did. But we, you know, we, um, there's a passage in Philippians 2 that said Jesus emptied himself. And I believe what that means is he set aside the independent use of his divine mm-hmm. abilities. He didn't stop being God. But he set aside the independent use of all of his divine abilities so that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that his humanity is real, so that he, mm-hmm. he engages God with God as a real human being. Um, and so that does provide a model for us. If I'm going to do something that God wants me to do, I would do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. Just like he did. I'm not doing it because I'm God, Right. because you're not. Yeah. Jesus was, but you're saying that he set that aside so that he worked, he did his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we can do our ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, and the difference is that, you know, I think the difference is, is that, he, you know, he's living this perfect, sinless life. He's never out of step with the will of God. Mm-hmm. He's never a, a burden or, I mean, a, there's never a barrier or an obstacle that's hindering his connection with the Holy Spirit. He's never out of step with the Holy Spirit, as I am often, you know, so he has this, um, this connection with the Holy Spirit that you know doesn't necessarily reflect how connected I am to the Holy Spirit day in and day out. Yeah, and this is why I think it's important when Jesus said, he, he told his disciples toward the end of his earthly ministry, he said, unless I leave you, I can't send the Holy Spirit. And so he, what he's, in essence, what he's saying is my ministry is pointing to something 
something more important for you, and again, I'm careful about how I use my words here. There's nothing more important than Jesus, but mm-hmm. what he's saying is, is I have to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come, which is what happened in Acts 1. Right. And his whole point is, it's not, Jesus is not living, uh, maybe we can speak to this, Jesus is not living in his disciples, per se, mm-hmm. this Holy Spirit, I guess you could say the Spirit of Christ, right. but the Holy Spirit right. is living... God doesn't indwell us as believers through Jesus. God indwells us through the Holy Spirit. Right. Jesus says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Um, But he mediates that presence internally in our lives and intimately in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and this is why it's so important for us to understand the, 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 the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I don't mean that just in a Pentecostal charismatic way, but the even cessationists, should embrace what Jesus is saying, that the Holy Spirit shouldn't be the forgotten God. The Holy Sp- right. Jesus didn't forget about the Holy Spirit. Right. Amen. He was yeah. working toward the Holy Spirit's role in, in all of the believers' lives, and this role is so important. Now, let's talk about some of the things. Let's talk about these two I words, inspiration, the, the Holy Spirit's role in inspiration, and then the Holy Spirit's role in illumination. Inspiration, we're talking about God's word, the Bible, but then illumination, we're talking about how that how that is mediated to us as human beings. Right. So the Holy Spirit is involved in producing the Bible. Uh, very very clearly. He he's the one who's working through human authors. In Second Peter one, it talks about how these writers are moved by the Holy Spirit and they produce scripture. And in John chapter 14, Jesus promises them that the Holy Spirit's going to bring to remembrance everything, and he's going to take what's mine and give it to you, so that they were enabled to write down the things that the Holy Spirit, or the things that Jesus had done and said. And so he's, he's in, intimately involved in the inspiration, and the word inspiration means, you know, um, means inspiriting. The Spirit is, is, is involved. You can see the, the core of that word is in the word inspiration. So the Holy Spirit's creating the Bible so that the, so that the words of the human authors are the very words of God himself. But that's, that wouldn't, even that wouldn't be enough, because in the, the inspired Word of God could sit there and do nothing for me as a human being unless the Holy Spirit does a second thing, a more, I would say, even a more personal thing, mm-hmm. And that that is to illuminate God's truth to the individual. Yeah. So First Corinthians chapter two, it says that on our own, apart from His work in our life, apart from Christ, we don't have the the capacity to understand spiritual things. When we're when we're lost, when we're far from God, we're in this state of of sin of sin. We don't have the capacity. And so, unless the Holy Spirit first we become born again, and then the Holy Spirit then gives us the capacity to understand and apply the Bible so that our hearts and minds are receptive and they're able to perceive what God is trying to say to us. And without illumination, and this is why it's important for people who are trying to share their share their faith with a friend, you can only do your part. The Holy Spirit has to do his part in the life of that other person to, to number one, he's already done his part in inspiring the word, in the first place, but now he has to do his part in illuminating the word and his truth for that individual person, and then that leads then to this next big thing, which is salvation. So the Holy Spirit's role in salvation is really important. A person can't be saved aside from the working of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. 
You know, I think this is where uh, it's really important to recognize that one of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit's work in John chapter 16, and, and it comes out in John chapter 15, the very end of chapter 15, is that his job is to bear witness of Jesus. And so uh, maybe that's why the Holy Spirit doesn't maybe get the prominence, because maybe he's just doing his job. He's just pointing people to Jesus. He's not pointing people to himself, just pointing people to Jesus. And so not only, not only is he pointing people to Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is, is also preparing people for salvation, and he's also the agent of that actually moment of salvation. It happens because of his work in a person's life. Yeah, and, and Jesus said it in John 16. He says, the Holy Spirit is the one who will convict the world of its guilt in regard to three things, sin and righteousness and judgment. And here's how I've always viewed that, Ross, is that the Holy Spirit is the one that that convicts you that you're a sinner, mm-hmm. number yeah. one. And number two, convicts you of what ri- real righteousness is mm-hmm. and the righteousness that can only be found in Christ. Yep. And then I think number three, he convicts you of judgment, that if you don't get right with God, right. that you're going to be judged of your sin. So right. it's kind of like the whole thing in one big package. The Holy Spirit does all that work, the Holy Spirit, but the operative word is convicting you. The Holy Spirit yeah. brings conviction. Because if left to ourselves, we would never come to any of those conclusions mm-hmm. on our own. We would, we would uh, you know, convince ourselves that we're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but but to say that the Holy Spirit is the agent of salvation also means that He applies the finished. Help us understand this, Russ. He applies the so He doesn't just convict us, but then once we're convicted, He applies the finished work of Christ to us. He sets right. us apart as belonging to God. Right. So the Holy Spirit, the Bible talks about a couple of different acts of the Holy Spirit here, and so the Holy Spirit says you belong to God. He says. When, we, when that moment of faith, the Holy Spirit actually first brings us to this moment of regeneration. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again, and he talks about that means born, by this, born of the Spirit, not just born physically, but born of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the, is the, the doctor or the midwife or whatever who's, who's negotiating that spiritual birth, who actually turns the, the flips the switch within us that makes us spiritually alive. And in, and in doing that, then, he's, then he now gives us this standing that we belong to God, that we've been set apart as, as belonging to the ownership and the, into relationship with God, and he establishes as God's children, and he encourages us that we are God's children. And so all of these things together with birth, spiritual birth, spiritual adoption, and all of those things are acts by which the Holy Spirit brings a person from this one state of being lost or the state of being in sin to to usher us into the state of being saved or of being redeemed. Yeah, so let's just think about how important this is. This is why Jesus was so into the Holy Spirit, right? Because yeah, Jesus' yeah. work in salvation is obviously very important. It's primary because Jesus went to the cross, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he established dominion over sin and death in the grave, and that was good. That was Jesus' role in the work of salvation. Mm-hmm. But Jesus' role, I want people to hear this, Jesus' role is not to convict. Right. Jesus' role is not to regenerate. Jesus' that's not. Jesus's role isn't to give us the guarantee. Mm-hmm. 
Jesus yep. did his part 2,000 years ago. And this is why he said, it's so important that I go so that you have the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit does all of the other... The Holy Spirit is the agent, like you said, he's the agent of salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings a person from death to life. That's the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit's job. That's why it's important not to forget the Holy Spirit. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. So it, what's interesting here is just how the the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together in such a seamless fashion. They each have their own role in salvation, you could say, that each role supports the other roles, and so you have a complete work, a complete work of God in a person's life. The Holy Spirit is the one who is, I guess, has the, the role of applying that and bringing everything Jesus did, every plan that the Father had, and everything that Jesus accomplished to bringing it to reality, to experience in our lives. Yeah, this, by the way, is is the reason that that when when God made a promise to Abraham, He said, "All the nations on the earth will be blessed through you, through your seed." It's important. I think it's important for people to understand the blessing. And Paul talks about this in Galatians. I think Paul understood this differently because the Holy Spirit illuminated this for him. But the blessing that that that. Uh, was promised through Abraham isn't Jesus. Jesus was the seed through whom the blessing would come. Mm-hmm. The blessing is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the blessing who who is the agent of salvation. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is the seed who would usher in the blessing. Right. And that's why we shouldn't forget the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so important. Yeah, totally important. And we even if you're not Pentecostal, the no, Holy Spirit yeah, absolutely, is... Absolutely, absolutely. And, and if you are Pentecostal, it's not... The Holy Spirit isn't just important because he gave you the gift of tongues. It's so much more than that. And there's that's why this topic is... Is so important. So it's now that's just we're only scratching the surface because that's just the salvation side of things. So the Holy Spirit is indispensable in terms of our salvation. He's the agent of our salvation. But then once we get saved, once we trust Jesus for salvation, now the Holy Spirit helps us actually to live this new life. He helps us to live this sanctified life. Right. So the Christian life is is really the Holy Spirit. It's not like you know you're born and so that you never see the doctor, you know, the obstetrician again. No, the Holy Spirit then kind of moves in and and starts to develop this maturing life and changing, transforming us from within. Um, And as we said before, this is where it's important to understand the Holy Spirit lives in every believer. And Ephesians chapter 1 makes that really clear in verses 13 and 14. It says, having believed, you received the promised Holy Spirit. Having believed. So that's the only condition um, and then, and then he it goes on to say how that promised Holy Spirit, as he comes to live within us, he becomes the guarantee of this future salvation of everything that God's going to do in my life in the future. Is um, Holy Spirit's like the down payment or the earnest money that says, you know, yeah, this is really going to happen in your life, which I think is encouraging for people because I, you know, as pastors, Ross, we deal with a lot of people who just say, I'm not sure if I'm really saved, and there's this sometimes this angst and this tension and and the holy spirit's job is to give you that assurance that you are a child of god Mm -hmm. and so the more you're connected to the holy spirit and the holy spirit's work in your life the more you'll have that assurance of your salvation because that comes Mm -hmm. through the holy spirit yeah so as you mentioned this that assurance of being a child of god romans 8 romans chapter 8 talks about how it's the holy spirit who he's the spirit of, of adoption, and, and he's the one who um, stirs up our hearts to cry, Abba, Father. 
the Holy Spirit is the one who draws us into intimate relationship with the Father, and then who assures us that we really are His children. I mean, there's a lot of things in life that happen that could cost, cast doubt upon our relationship with God. The Holy Spirit is there saying, no, you are, you do, you know, if you've come to faith in Christ, you do belong to the Father. And that's really the evidence of that. That's why you're calling out to Him as Abba, with intimacy, because that's evidence that you really do belong to Him. But it's the Holy Spirit who creates all of that and causes all of that to happen within. Well, one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit gives you assurance is because the Holy Spirit empowers you to live a godly, God-honoring mm-hmm. life. The, God said through his prophet, there's going to come a day when I'll put my spirit in you, mm-hmm. and I will move you to obey all my commandments. So yeah. the, the, the qualitative difference between a New Testament believer and an Old Testament believer is we have the Holy Spirit permanently right. in us moving us from the inside out, not just outside in, looking at the law and trying to be obedient to the checklist of the law, but on the inside out, moving us to be obedient. And so what I always tell Christians is, look, if you're not being moved by the Holy Spirit, and if it's not being evidenced in the fruit of the Spirit in your life, well, then it's no wonder that you don't have assurance of your salvation, because you're really not walking by the Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to show you the changed life from the inside out. So on a practical note, one of the reasons the Holy Spirit gives us assurance is because the Holy Spirit gives us this transformed life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The Holy Spirit is working within the believer um, to, for example, help us to overcome sin so that sin no longer has control in our lives. That's Romans 8 talks about that and other places as well. And, and he's, he's the Holy Spirit, and part of that is a reminder that he's progressively making us more and more holy, more and more transforming our lives to overcome the old sinful nature. Galatians 5 is really key on this. You mentioned the fruit of the Spirit. That's Galatians chapter 5, but a couple verses before that, it talks about how if we live live by the Spirit and follow the Spirit, then we won't do what the sinful nature wants to do in us. And so the Holy Spirit becomes really, really important, His power, His guidance, His leadership to overcome that old life, that old kind of way we used to live, that, that vestiges of our, of our fallenness. And so he, He's really important role to play in, um, in how we live and how our lives are changed and, and what our character ultimately looks like. All right, so we're, all, we're, we're already out of time, but we've got to talk about one more thing, because we've talked about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, in the, in the New Testament, in individual believers' lives. We've talked about the Holy Spirit in, in Christ's life, but we can't really end this episode without talking about the Holy Spirit and his relationship to the church, yeah. the community of faith. Yeah, because I don't want our, our listeners to think that the Holy Spirit's work is just individualistic uh, or just like, you know, doesn't involve go beyond you and your relationship with God, but the Holy Spirit works in the church as a whole. In fact, um, the Holy Spirit it starts in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, it says that, we're, that, he, that he baptizes us into the church. In other words, he initiates us into this new body so that we become part of this new body. So, and, and, then, and then the Holy Spirit um, works in such a way that all the parts of the body work together to uh, glorify Jesus and to follow him as the head and to benefit one another. He gives us gifts, giftings of different kinds, uh, so that we can interact in ways that are mutually beneficial. 
Yeah, and that brings us back finally to that topic of of the gifting of the Holy Spirit in terms of, say, the charismatic gifts like tongues. And I would really encourage everybody to read 1 Corinthians 14, mm-hmm. because we see what Paul is saying there. It's it's so clear what he's saying is the the whole purpose for the gifts of the Spirit, so they're gifts from the Spirit. All the gifts. Yeah, yeah. all of the gifts. Mm-hmm. The purpose is for the edification of the body of right. Christ. Right. And that's what I always like to tell charismatic believers, me included, is to say, look, the gift, if you speak in tongues, that's great, but it's not about a badge. It's not doesn't make you better than anybody else. The gifts that God gives us, the corporate gifts, the public gifts, he's given those gifts for the edification of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So then if he's given you a, a, a specific personal private gift of tongues for your own edification, then that's just between you and God. And that's a, that's how I read it in yeah, 1 Corinthians I agree. 14. I agree. Is he's saying don't you know you, you need to not bring that into the public setting that could could make the focus something else. And I think that's what a yeah. lot of charismatic churches do is there's there's just like no it's just like off off the rails that everybody's speaking in, they're exercising this private thing that is supposed to be a private thing rather than thinking about wait if I'm going to speak in tongues in this public setting is this the right place for it right. is this thing for the edification of the whole church or is this just my private thing and right. I think that's where there's a lot of confusion yeah that's a great point because the whole point of the in 1 Corinthians 12 it says the gifts are given by the holy spirit for the common good right and that's really what has to rule um, and so read read First Corinthians fourteen, of course, in the context of chapter twelve and chapter thirteen as well, to help under really understand the bigger picture about uh, spiritual gifts. Every gift, by the way, is a charismatic gift. The word charisma Amen. just means a means just means a gift of grace. And so all the gifts are charismatic in the in the uh, raw biblical sense. Yeah, so let's finish with one more question, Ross. Why do you think the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God in in many churches today? What do you think that's all about? Well, again, I think there's a number of reasons. You know, churches that are uncomfortable with maybe excesses that they've heard about or or observed in other churches, they want to back away from that, and they throw the baby out with the bathwater. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I think it, it might have something to do with the Holy Spirit's role is to point toward Jesus. He doesn't point toward himself. Um, he wants to uh, glorify and lift up Jesus. And, and when Jesus is being lifted up, then that's evidence the Holy Spirit's at work. Um, and yet, the, the Holy Spirit's uh, work permeates just the whole Bible. Um, and you just, you can't, once you have your eyes open to looking for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, you, you can't avoid reference after reference after reference. And so um, we, we do want, we don't want to elevate the Holy Spirit above Jesus, but we do want to give him, he is God, we can worship him, we can certainly appreciate and pay appropriate attention to his work. Well, to talk about this topic with your family or your small group or your mentor, you can find it on our systematic theology page at PursueGod.org, PursueGod.org forward slash SysTheo. This was topic number five. Make sure to join us next Tuesday as we cover topic number six in the series.